wanted to uh, read for you this morning just a list I found, just a list of everyday uh, items that uh, sometimes we uh, just, just take for granted, uh, just everyday experiences or items that we, we have. Uh, uh, you woke up this morning and you, know, you brushed your teeth and you got ready, you took a shower or whatnot, and you could choose from uh, you know, how cold you wanted the water to how warm you wanted the water, and the, you just had water at your, at your fingertips coming out of a faucet. What's more than that, just not the, the privilege of having having hot or cold water, but the, the fact that it was, it's clean and you can drink and cook and do all those things you need to do with it. A pretty, pretty amazing thing that sometimes we take for granted. Uh, you, you drove here or caught a ride with somebody here, you had access to transportation, uh, something that we sometimes take for granted. Uh, we have uh, this internet uh, immediate access to, a, a, you know, literally a worldwide worth of knowledge and information just at our fingertips. We have so much access to, to information and knowledge today. We're, we're sitting in a climate-controlled room and uh, be, with lights on, able to read and all of those things because of electricity. We, we were sheltered last night. Uh, many of us are uh, to, a certain, to one degree or another uh, have our health that we sometimes take for granted. Uh, we maybe are looking up all that information on phone uh, right now. We have uh, ability, we have the ability to communicate with folks uh, whenever we want and wherever we want. Uh, you know, someone loves you. I, I hope whoever made this list didn't make it in like order or whatever, but uh, y- y- even if you're, you doubt that sometimes, look around this room and somebody here cares uh, for you. We love you. We care about you. And, and we, we take for granted those relationships sometimes. Uh, this author put on their list trees and, and thumbs, you know, just the ability to write and to, to hold utensils, to paint, create art, all those things, uh, because we have thumbs that move around the sky, nature, five senses, simple pleasures. Maybe you woke up this morning to, a, uh, to enjoy a, a hot cup of coffee by yourself on the, on the patio or whatever, watching all that fog. It was simple pleasures in life, you know, the sun, uh, homemade meals, proper nutrition, books, education, medicines and vaccines, stuff like that. Our life is so much better uh, because of those things. Uh, you look down that list, you think about those items that, that maybe we sometimes take for granted uh, so quickly, if we remove those from our life, man, you know, we would really be impacted. You know, our lives would be substantially different and, and not really a positive way. And, and, and it's good sometimes for us to think about the way that some of those physical things might impact our life. But, but I'm afraid that at least I, in my spiritual life, sometimes make a list of things that I take for granted as well, or I don't make the list. I just take them for granted. And, and how crazy is it that as followers of Jesus, sometimes I think we put the resurrection on this list, that we take it for granted, that maybe we talk about it and we read about it and we learn about it intellectually, but uh, perhaps we haven't invested in it into our lives and allowed him to make a difference in our life. And, and uh, it's one of those simple things, just like a, a cup of coffee that we might take for granted or you know running water is the simple idea that, that has a profound impact in our life it's really a pretty simple story that Jesus entered this world that he grew up and and taught and ministered ultimately he would die in our place be buried in a tomb and raised on that third day a remarkable amazing simple story that has this eternal impact on each and every one of us 
And yet sometimes we kind of leave it on that list of, of things that maybe we're taking for granted. We can't accept, the, accept, acknowledge, and cherish the difference that the resurrection, resurrection makes in our lives. And I think 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us four steps to doing just that, that, to accepting and cherishing and acknowledging the difference that the resurrection can make in our lives. We're going to spend some time this morning walking through four steps in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I hope you brought your Bibles. If you did, go ahead and open them up to the 15th chapter of the book of first corinthians uh if you're using the walula christian church app that's awesome all this information is there the outline that's available on the back of your bulletin is available uh, on the app if you haven't downloaded the walula app do that sometime this week uh, whatever method you're using to uh access god's word let's find first corinthians 15 typically in uh, one of my messages we would read the entire passage here and and then go back and kind of walk our way through it and we're, we're just going to do our best to deal with a ton of scripture this morning, the entire chapter, and so we're going to read those in the individual steps this morning, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to talk about step number one, which is to always remember Jesus' resurrection. Always remember Jesus' resurrection. Let's look at the first 11 verses here as we consider step number one. Always remember Jesus' resurrection. This is what God's Word says. Now I would would remind you, brother, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And they appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. All right, an interesting start to our our conversation this morning as we we consider step number one, always remember Jesus' resurrection. Paul begins by saying, hey, I want you to remember. Now I would would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Gospel, remember, is just a a Bible word that means good news. It literally means good news. And and so he said, I I preached to you. I brought you this good news. And, And he'll go on in this, these first 11 verses to remind them of this good news that Jesus lived, ministered, taught, died, was buried, and he raised from the dead on that third day. And that makes all of the difference. It's truly, really good news. It, it's good news that was enough. It was sufficient for them in their past. Uh, I, I, I preach to you what you received in the past, in which you stand. It's sufficient for the, the church in Corinth in the present, and by which you are being saved. It's sufficient for the church in Corinth. It's sufficient for each one of us for all of eternity, for our futures. This is really good news. 
if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He said, this is truly good news if you're holding on to that good news, if you're believing, if you're trusting, if you're holding fast to that good news. I, I don't know if you're a football fan, sports fans. I've been watching the Kansas City Chiefs the last couple weeks. A few weeks ago, they played this game with the Detroit Lions. And in this game, the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs set an NFL record. They tied an NFL record for the most fumbles in one quarter. In the third quarter, both of these teams uh, shared five different fumbles. Literally, they shared it. They gave it back and forth to each other, right? Over and over and over again. And, and through the course of that quarter, I, you know, they would run plays. And at one point, one of the running backs for the Chiefs ran through the line and he, he was making an extraordinary, extraordinary run. He was going you know, 20 yards. It was a really great run. In the middle of that run, though, he was holding the football kind of out to his side and running like this. And, and it just sent a panic through you know, fans, at least me, like, hold on to the football. Have you not been watching you know, the same game that I've been watching? These guys are, are literally punching at the ball, trying to knock it out of your hands. And, and you know, way back when, when, uh, you know, I... Look, I never ran the football. It's hard to guess that I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, coaches thought you, you cover up the football, right? We've seen guys cover up the football and run through the line and protect that, that football and, and really guard it, hold fast to the ball. And I thought as, as I was remembering that play, well, you're running like that with one football. And, and what if you had to carry two footballs and run down the field like that? That would be more difficult, wouldn't it? And, but what if he gave you three or four footballs and then you're flat out of hands. You can't do it anymore, right? You would be dropping those footballs. And, and I think in verse 3 here, Paul is sort of saying, look, I want you to focus on that one football. I want you to hold fast to what is most important. You're, you're dealing with all these other ideas and all these other topics, which may be important, but they're not most important. Verse 3, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, that first importance, that doesn't mean it's what Paul taught to the church in Corinth first. It could have been. It might have been. Likely, it was among the very first things he taught them. But what he's saying is, this is most important. This is the one football that I want you to carry around, that I want you to hold on to, to hold fast to. You, you can drop some of the others, perhaps, but you can't drop this knowledge. You can't drop this gospel, this good news. He goes on to describe it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And so Paul is, is building this case that we ought to remember Jesus' resurrection and that Jesus' resurrection is real, that it happened. He, he said you can trust in the resurrection of Christ. He, he says, first of all, you can trust in it because Scripture taught that this would happen. He, he points back to the Old Testament. He said, look, we, we knew Messiah was on his way. We knew he was supposed to be a suffering servant. We sometimes misapplied some of that, and, and he was maybe Messiah that we weren't expecting, but we, we should have been on the lookout for, for Messiah. We can trust in Jesus' resurrection because of 
of God's word because God's word teaches it. We can trust in it. He said we can trust in Jesus' resurrection because of all of these eyewitnesses. He points to Cephas, that's Peter. He said Jesus appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the, the 12 and he appeared to his brother James who, who wasn't a follower initially. And you know, you've heard preachers say before, what would you have to do to convince your brother that you were the son of God? Well, you maybe would have to raise from the dead, and that's what it took. He appeared to James, who became a follower, who became a, a leader in the, in the Jerusalem church. He said he appeared to, to the disciples and, and even to 500 people at one time. He appeared to all of these eyewitnesses, and finally, Paul said, Jesus appeared to me. And because of these eyewitness accounts, we can trust that Jesus is raised from the dead. And finally, in the, our first section of Scripture here, as we remember Jesus' resurrection, Paul said, you can trust in the resurrection because of the difference that Jesus is making in your life. He, he points to the difference that Jesus made in his. He said, for I am the least of the apostles, in verse 9, unworthy to be called an apostle because I, was persecu because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This good news that I preached to you, I experienced, Paul said. He changed me. He, he made me new from the inside out. I, I persecuted the church. I, I, I tried to stop this story from spreading, but Jesus exercised his grace in my life. He's, he's giving them the so what here for, for him and for each one of them and for us. I, there was another extraordinary sports achievement in the last week or so. This uh, young man by the name of Eliad Keep. Kude, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. I apologize. But he ran a sub two hour marathon. That's just amazing, isn't it? He ran 26.2 miles in less than two hours. It had never been accomplished before. That's running every mile in under five minutes. That's an extraordinary athletic achievement. I, I know some of you folks are involved in these sorts of athletic endeavors, and, and sometimes you know, we want to remind ourselves of what we've achieved, and we have trophies, and maybe you have a sticker on the back of your car that says 26.2 miles, and, and I can't honestly have a sticker like that. I did find one that I can honestly put on my car. It's, it's on the screen behind me, I think. It, <laughs> zero point zero, but seriously good for you, right? Seriously good for you. And, and that, that's really great. And, and maybe, you know, we could read Paul's words as saying, well, seriously, this is good for me, but I don't know. He, he, he's saying this is seriously good for you. This is really important. This is good news that you can experience in your lives just as I've experienced in, in mine. He said, look, it, no, if there's anybody that, that Jesus should look at and say, not that guy, Paul said, it's me. Right? He said, I, I'm not, I don't deserve that. I tried to stop the spread of, of the story of Jesus. I persecuted the church. You know what? I can stand before you and say, if there's one guy that doesn't deserve Jesus, it's me. So if Jesus has exercised his, his grace in my life, rather, then surely he will exercise his grace in yours. That's Paul's message 
to each of us. That's my message to you. I've experienced the difference that Jesus has made and is making, and I I hope for the difference that he will make in my life for all of eternity, and you can experience that too. Paul said, don't ever forget. Remember Jesus' resurrection because it makes this difference in our lives. He's going to go on and, and explain that some more as we talk about step number two, to always hope in the resurrection. Always hope in the resurrection. We're going to deal with a, a large section of Scripture here from verse 12 to verse 34. All right, this is what God's Word says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found uh, to be misrepresenting God even because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man uh, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all dies, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do uh, people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are they? Are we in danger uh, every hour? I, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What I what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, there's a whole bunch of material here that we're going to try to work our way through a little bit of as we consider to, that we should always hope in the resurrection. You go all the way back to verse 12. And from verse 12 to, to verse 19, Paul is basically r- raising this, this issue of, of uh, look, if you say that there's no resurrection of the dead for believers, then what does that mean about Jesus' resurrection that he's just taught about, that he's just said, we ought to point to this and we ought to remember always that Jesus raised from the dead. He said, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is 
not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ isn't raised, then none of this really matters. He's going to go on to explain that some more. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. There are some quotes in history that you just remember that you hold on to that have sort of snuck their way into our our common conversation, our common vernacular. And one of those quotes, most of us remember probably from the movie Apollo 13. It it happened during that that mission, the Apollo 13 mission. And and Jim Lavelle said, "Uh, Houston, we have a problem. And in reality, that's not the exact quote that that he submitted, but that's what we remember, and that's how we use it in our common vernacular. Houston, we have a problem. What do we mean? Well, there's this issue, and maybe it's out of our control. Maybe we didn't have really anything to do with it, but now we have this issue, and now we have this problem. Well, if you know, if you can imagine taking that, that idea and that quote out of just a movie and placing it into the real event that it actually was, I mean, you're in the middle of space. You're depending on these computers and this machine, this, this vehicle to return you literally to your planet. Then to say, Houston, we have a problem is sort of the understatement of the year, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's a problem. And when you look at verses 12 through 19 here, Paul is making the understatement of eternity. Look, if you're saying there's no resurrection from the dead, then that means Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, Houston, we have a problem. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul said, look, if you're looking at Jesus only as a moral teacher, you ought to be pitied more than anybody. You know, this standard is, is a standard that, that uh, we, we struggle to live up to. I, I watched a video of this, this uh, gentleman, I, I don't even remember his name, he, he was talking about uh, Christian, Christianity, and he said, well, there really aren't any Christians anymore. And so I, I stayed for the minute and a half to watch the entire video, and his point was essentially, he listed all of these sins, and he said, look, people are guilty of these sins, and people who claim to be Christians are guilty of these sins, so there can't be. Christianity any longer. And and that's sort of the same point that Paul is driving home here. He said, look, if you you trust only in the the moral teachings of Jesus as as teacher, as, as prophet, then that's okay. But we can all look down the list of, of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and know and find fault with every single one of us. There has to be a hope outside of that moral relativity. There has to be a hope outside of that moral standard that even the, the best people are setting. He said that hope rests only in Jesus, raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't raised from the dead. And if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, that means you are still in your sins. And the consequence, the weight, the penalty for those sins is still in place. 
He goes on in verse 20, though, to offer some more good news. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. When we say yes to Jesus, he makes us new. He offers us this new life. Again, it's an extraordinary kind of new life, though. I was just watching my daughter play softball yesterday, and, and this often happens in, in softball or baseball games. They'll, a batter will be up to bat, and they will foul a ball off. Into foul territory, a, a defender will have an opportunity to make a play. They'll be under the ball, ready to catch the ball, and, and for whatever reason, they don't. You know, the, the sun was too bright, they were running too fast, they, they get their glove on the ball, but it just drops to the ground harmlessly. It's a foul ball. What does that mean? Well, the batter has another opportunity. They're not out. They get to try to hit again. And a coach or a player or somebody in the vicinity will likely say, wow, new life. Take advantage of it. And sometimes that's how we think of new life. We think of new life as a second chance. Because what does the hitter have to do? Well, the hitter still has to hit the ball. They have to put it in play. They can't foul it off again. They can't miss it again. They have the opportunity to succeed and absolutely to fail. This new life that Jesus offers us is amazing because he's already hit the ball. He's already won the victory. This new life offered to Jesus is rested in only the grace that he provides for us, not in our own uh, ability to succeed. He goes on, Paul uh, frames this in terms of, of subjection, that Jesus is in charge of everything, that he's offered us this new life, that he's already won this victory, and that, that uh, he, he's living in this relationship with God the Father, and that they've made this possible. This offer of, of new life and hope in the resurrection goes on in verse 29 to say, uh, otherwise, what do you mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? One of the most difficult verses in all of the New Testament. We're not going to spend a bunch of time here. We could raise all sorts of questions. I'm just going to give you my best understanding of this verse, all right? And so this is just Lance's best understanding of what's going on here, all right? I don't think what's happening is that people in Corinth were being baptized with the idea of saving somebody who had already died. I don't think that's what was going on. I don't think Paul is, is framing that. When you look at the Greek on their behalf, maybe some of you say they're being baptized for the dead. That Greek word, it's it just it very intricate, but that Greek word can be translated as uh, uh, in relationship to, all right? It's almost like uh, if you're uh, earning a, a degree or you're, you're, uh, you're giving a donation in the name of somebody else, all right? And so they're, they're sort of saying, we want to honor these people by following Jesus. And my best guess here is that Paul is trying to communicate that, yeah, we, we say yes to Jesus with some, with some selfish intentions as well, right? That we're baptized with this idea, with this hope that we will see people we love again. And so we're baptized on uh, their behalf to see them again, to be able to, to be with them again. 
Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. All right, so as we consider how we can always hope in the resurrection, Paul is, is sums it up by saying, look, we, we, we want to be baptized. We want to follow after Jesus. We want to be in his presence for eternity, to be with our loved ones who follow after him for all of eternity. And if none of that is true, then you ought to pursue these selfish desires that everybody else in the world says you ought to. They have no knowledge of God, and that would be to their shame. Let's consider step number three. Always look forward to your heavenly body. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about, it moves sort of from the resurrection of Jesus to our uh, physical resurrection here. Uh, Always look forward to your heavenly body. Let's consider verses 35 to 49 in chapter 15. God's word says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own seed. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from star and and glory so is so is it with the resurrection from the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable what is sown is dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body thus it is written the first man adam became a living being the last adam became a life giving spirit but it is not the spiritual that is first but the natural and then the spiritual the first man was was from earth, the man of dust, the second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. But someone will ask, as we consider this idea of a heavenly body, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Now this is a really simple kind of idea here, but this is essentially the question that the the Corinthian church was asking. This maybe is at the crux of their disagreement, their concern about the resurrection from the dead. They're asking, what does this look like? If we're going to be raised from the dead physically, how does that happen? You can understand their concern. You just, you just need to think about your favorite zombie movie right now, right? They're, 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 seriously, that's what they're questioning. They're, they're essentially saying to Paul, Paul, this could be kind of gross. You know, do we really want this? Do we really want dead bodies walking around? What's that going to look like? And Paul says in verse 26, you foolish person, it's not a zombie movie. 
All right, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, of, of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives a, it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star and glory. And so there's all different kinds of bodies, right? There's, animals look different from people. People look different from the stars. The stars look different from the moon. All these different uh, formations and bodies. And, and Paul said, look, your heavenly body will be like your earthly body, but different. He goes on to explain that difference in verse 42. So, it is, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven as the man of dust. So also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right, so your resurrected body is, is the same as your earthly body, but, but different. And he goes on to give this example. You're going to reflect the model that you're modeling your life and your decisions after is Jesus. Then your resurrected body, your heavenly body, will be uh, similar to the model of Jesus' resurrected body. What do we know about Jesus' resurrected body? What can we learn from Scripture after the resurrection that, that talks about his body? Well, we remember the story of Jesus. Jesus is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, 13 to 35, right? You, you remember these guys, they're, they're talking to Jesus. They don't really uh, realize, they don't realize that it's Jesus. They, they, they don't recognize him. Now, something is probably going on here. There's probably some kind of uh, something supernatural going on here, and, and I, I'm not sure what it is, but I do know this. They didn't say, wow, this guy looks like a zombie. This guy looks like somebody who was beaten, hung on a cross, stabbed in the side. He does not look well. Nowhere in that passage did they say, dude, what's wrong with you? Right? The guy looked like the, the other folks. They, he blended in. His body was similar to those he was walking with. When Mary Magdalene saw Jesus uh, outside the tomb, they, she didn't recognize him. Again, I think this is on purpose. And again, I think this is probably supernatural. But again, I think it points to the fact that Mary just mistook him for a gardener. He looked like somebody who might have been the gardener, who maybe should have been there, who wasn't dead a couple of days ago. Uh, you go on and, and Jesus interacts with uh, the disciples on the beach in John chapter 21 verse 12. He fixes, prepares breakfast for them and they, they eat together. He has this physical body. And when you look at the, the way Jesus interacted with Mary Magdalene and Thomas and Peter in John chapter 20 and 21, these three different interactions, they are very, very similar to interactions that Jesus would have had with Mary Magdalene, Thomas, or Peter prior to his death and resurrection. His physical, his resurrected heavenly body, his glorified body, if that's what we're dealing with, and I think it is, is similar to his earthly body. 
But, you know, he shows up behind closed doors. He ascends into heaven. He does some really remarkable things in that new body. All of that to say, well, maybe our body will be different. Maybe we'll be able to do remarkable things. I don't know. I mean, Jesus did some remarkable things prior to the resurrection in his earthly body. So our bodies will be similar. They will be uh, physical. Uh, Paul describes it like this. Your earthly body is perishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. It's natural. He describes your heavenly body as imperishable, raised in glory, raised in power, that it's a spiritual body. Catch this because this is important. Basically, the, the biggest deal in Corinth is is that they had this huge separation between the spiritual and the physical. They thought we can attain these spiritual heights and we can do whatever we want physically because the physical is evil anyway. There's nothing we can do to get rid of that. And, And that's just not how God created us. He breathed the life into Adam. He he formed Adam out of dust and then he breathed life, spirit soul into him. We are a combination of this physical and spiritual mesh together. All right? They're not supposed to be separated. The resurrection allows for those to be together again. That there is a spiritual body, yes, but it's not only spirit. There's a resurrection from the dead that's, that's promised and that we can hope in. We can look forward to this heavenly body that reflects and looks like Jesus. Let's go on to step number four, to always know that the sting of death has been removed. Look at these uh, amazing verses. All right, This deserves more time than we're going to give it. But, but the, these verses are, are sort of self-evident anyway. Let's read it together. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body... (coughs) Excuse me. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting uh, of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The sting of death is removed. We have the opportunity to be in the very presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever for all of eternity. He he says that this resurrection is real and that he's coming back. He promises, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And and those who are alive when Jesus will return, their bodies will be changed just like those who have already died in the resurrected body and will, will have this heavenly body together in his presence. Death will hold no victory over us, no sting any longer. It says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Look, the, the consequence of sin is the consequence of sin. 
and the fact that we've tried, we've tried to follow his rules and his law and we can't do it well enough for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our answer. And when we, when we turn to him and live after him, we can serve others just like Paul said, therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sharing the story of Jesus, living out the difference that Jesus has made in your life is not in vain. We have a hope in the resurrection. We have a hope in that heavenly body. We can remember Jesus' resurrection that removes the sting of sin and death. How do we not take stuff for granted? Well, we, we live in the now, right? We realize that our eternity begins right now. You have a chance today to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't said yes to him before, you know, talk to somebody you see on stage. Talk to the folks that invited you this morning that, that you came with. How, we will help you begin a relationship with Jesus and just say yes to him. Your, your eternity begins right now. You can live in the now and say yes to him. You can live on purpose, sharing the difference that Jesus has made with you as we serve and love others well. Right now, let's stand and let's worship together. And uh, one more time, let's, let's try. He is risen. He is risen Amen.